Turn your Bibles to Psalm 100. We're going to take a Thanksgiving detour this morning, and then next week, that's right, next week is December, uh, and we'll be starting our Advent season next week. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 500. And fitting with the season, I want to share a little bit about my upbringing around Thanksgiving time. So growing up, we were in Michigan for the most of my growing up life, and we did not live really close to extended family. So my mom's parents were a little, first of all, they were in Georgia for a little bit, but then in Ohio, and that's where that side of the family began to pool, like a cesspool in Ohio. Um, And then my dad's parents were over in Iowa. So we were all in the Midwest, but that meant Thanksgiving normally was a time of travel. And usually for Thanksgiving, you know, you sort of pick your family holidays. So Easter, we'd be in Iowa. Thanksgiving, more often than not, we were in Ohio with great patience and long-suffering. Anyway, um, take that, Ohio. Anyway... So we were with my, my mom's side of the family, and my mom, like many of you, and unlike many today, was one of eight kids. And so it was quite the large extended family, and so you could picture that things would get a little lively, especially if you knew that side of the family. Everything you picture, the big adult table, and then in the other room, you've got the card tables out for the kids and for the uncles who just wouldn't behave. With my mom's side of the family, there was generally a celebratory feel to the holiday. People could at least get through the meal before we started airing the dirty laundry. But that idea, that picture, yeah, not actual dirty laundry. I heard that from the corner. That's a metaphor. Uh, you'll learn about that when you're older. Anyway. But this idea of that picture of everybody eating, everybody talking, the noise, in a good way, of a festive Thanksgiving meal. And hopefully you've had at least one of those in your life, or that's the general feel of your holidays. A lot to be thankful for. And that's the other tradition I want to connect this to, this idea of there's a general tradition of taking time to say, what am I thankful for? To remember all that we have and all that God has given us. And these two ideas, this idea of sincere and deep thankfulness, along with a celebratory tone of the holidays, really helps us to understand Psalm 100. This psalm is a call to worship a call to praise God. And at the center of that worship is deep and sincere thanksgiving. The pattern of this psalm is to proclaim a command to worship God followed by the reasons that we worship God. And so as we enter into the Thanksgiving holiday this week, 
as our country takes time in holiday form to be thankful for all that we have, I want to call us to celebrate and worship God for all that he has given for us and how good he is to us. Our big idea, if you're using the outline provided in your bulletin, is this, we worship God with thanksgiving for who he is and all that he has done for us. Let's look at Psalm 100 beginning in verses 1 and 2. And we're going to see, make a joyful noise because we are God's people. Follow along as I read. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Immediately you feel the call to worship, the celebratory tone of the psalm. A call not just to one group of people or to individuals, but to all the earth to make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's at this point where we can add a joke about many of you making joyful noises every Sunday, and at least those noises are joyful when we all sing together. But I want you to see greater than that is the repetition of these calls to worship. Again, verse 1, make a joyful noise, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. The poetic nature of the Psalms draws us in with this repetition. But the cynical person might ask, what reason do you have to be so happy and joyful? With everything that happens in our world, all of the wickedness, all of the evil, all of the sin, how can I make a joyful noise to the Lord? It's at this point I want to point out the complexity of the world that the Bible presents. That there is both time of joy and sorrow. And the Bible matches that. That there is time to celebrate and there is time to mourn. But I want us to see that both are here. That just because we mourn and are sorrowful when we see wickedness, when we see sin, when we experience death, at the same time we are still called to joyfully worship our God. It grounds us when we do go through the hard times. And because, and this is important, because the calls to worship are not just simply declared, Again, the pattern of this psalm is a declaration, a call to worship, but then the objective reasons that we worship. These do not change. The why of our worship is solid. And so we can endure the ups and the downs of this world. So let's look at the first one here in verse 3 of why do we worship? Verse 3, first of all, we are his creation. Look at verse 3 with me. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. So why should you make a joyful noise to the Lord? Because our God, the God of the Bible, in the Psalms, the God of Israel, that's where you, in the word Lord there, 
He is, in fact, the true God of the universe. And again, specifically in the historical context of the Psalms, as opposed to all the other gods out there, our God is the actual God. And essential to who he is, is that he is the creator. He is, in fact, our creator. Verse 3, it is he who made us and we are his. We are not the results of the random forces of this world, but we were made by the God of the universe. And since he made each and every one of us, we belong to him. Again, verse 3, is he who made us and we are his. We belong to God, and therefore we have responsibility and accountability to God. One part of the picture is that we are the result of God's craftsmanship. And also, since we are the work of his hands, we owe God our honor and our allegiance, our worship. Consider what Paul says in the book of Romans. He says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In God's role as creator, all people owe him worship and thanks. But also the fact that he has created you never changes. The fact that he sustains every moment of your life, that never changes. And that grounds, that creates a foundation for the worship that we give. It helps us to understand that worship is more than just the act of singing or the emotive force of singing. It includes those, but we don't just whip ourselves up in a frenzy as other religions do. Our worship is grounded in the truth. We can make a joyful noise because we belong to the God who created us. Secondly, in verse 3, we are not only his creation, we are his sheep. Go back to the end of verse 3. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Again, the wonderful, very common metaphor of God as our shepherd and we as his sheep a complex metaphor that invades every aspect of our lives, God's leadership of us, his care, his protection of us. It's also a redemptive metaphor of our identity. While all people are made by God in his image and therefore belong to him, not all people are his sheep. We see this in what John says in John, what Jesus says in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus describes his mission of salvation as gathering his flock. And so we see not only is our creation, 
the grounds for worship, here we see that our redemption from sin, death, and the devil is grounds for our celebratory worship. Again, Romans 9 puts it this way, as indeed God says in Hosea, those who are not my people I will call my people, and her who is not beloved I will call beloved. And in that very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. We make a joyful noise to the Lord. We live lives of thanksgiving because we who were not his people were made his people. Through the sacrificial death of Jesus and our faith in him, we are made his sheep. And when we are made his sheep, when he calls us, when he makes us sons and daughters of the living God, that is a foundation that never moves. I can make a joyful noise because God took me a rebel. God took me a sinner. And he made me his people, one of his sheep. The author moves on in Psalm 100 with this same pattern in verses 4 and 5. Again, if you're following along in your outline, you'll see point two there. Enter his gates with thanksgiving because God is so good. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. If we compare verses 1 and 2 and 4, again, using this pattern, we see very similarly, again, a call to worship. But here there's a unique contribution in verse 4, where the worship is described centrally in terms of thanksgiving. Now, if you were wondering before, here's the reason we're doing this psalm today. But we see the repetition of worship. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Again, that threefold repetition calling us to worship God. And at the center of those praises are expressing our thanks to God. You see it there twice. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And later on at the end, give thanks to him. Bless his name. Thankfulness to God is an essential part of what it means to be a Christian and is a part of our worship. It recognizes that we need God because if we didn't need him, why would we thank him? It also recognizes the generosity of God, that we don't deserve what God has done for us. Again, if we deserved it, if he was just giving us what we owed, why would we thank him? But we thank God because he has been good to us in every way and completely generous with us. So why? Why should I be thankful? 
Why should I worship God with thankfulness? Why should I live a life of thankfulness? And verse 5 gives us three reasons. The first one in verse 5 is that God is good. Look at verse 5. For the Lord is good. It's not complicated. But it is essential to who God is. God, in his essential character, is always good to us. He will never deceive you. He will never lead you astray. He will never treat you unfairly. And in fact, everything he does, whether you believe it or not, is for your good. We need to understand God's character and who he is because whether we realize it or not, it affects how we approach him. And central to being thankful is recognizing that God is good to us. God is fair with us. God gives to us. And again, because he is God, that never changes. God will never not be good to you. Because if he was, he would cease being God. This is especially helpful when we don't understand. Whether we don't understand what God has written, why did you command that, God? I don't know. Or we question his sovereignty. God, why did you allow that to happen? And as we seek to understand what God is doing in our lives, and as we seek to understand his word, what anchors us is the goodness of God. And that anchor will never move. We see this more in the rest of verse 5. Let's go to the next point there. His steadfast love endures forever. God loves you. God loves you not just for a little bit of time. God doesn't love you for a week, for a year, for a decade. God loves you forever. Our God is a loving God. This is significant because very few of the world's religions present their God as a loving God. But we see a God who in his essential core is known as a God who loves us. And when we especially understand who we are, the stark contrast is alarming because in our pride, we say, of course God would love me. I'm awesome. But when we're honest, we're amazed by the love that God has even for me. And again, it is dependable. It is an anchor in our lives that God will always love us. He doesn't endure just a little longer. He endures 
forever with his love. God will always act with love towards you. And then thirdly, in verse 5, again, speaking to his character, he is faithful to all generations. I want to quickly point out that combining the word steadfast love and the word faithfulness is a common common pairing throughout your Bible. And this mostly begins in Exodus 34 where God describes himself. And so that's a theme you can trace throughout your Bible. But what it's saying to us here is that God is trustworthy. God is faithful to his people and faithful to what he has said. God is dependable and God keeps his promises. Again, not just for a little bit, but to all generations. You can actually trust what he has said. Even for the best of us, we cannot do that. We can have the best intentions to keep our word all the time, keep our promises all the time. We cannot do that. We will always fail. But God's word God's promises never fail. When we see the character of God, when we see who he is, do you see how this becomes the objective foundation for our worship? I can be thankful because God is always good to me. I can be thankful because God will always treat me with love. And I can be thankful because God is always trustworthy. God is always faithful. There is a solid rock of our worship and our thanksgiving. And when we stand on that solid rock, when we stand on that anchor of truth, I can make a joyful noise. I can enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Because no matter what is going on around me, no matter what's even going on inside of myself, God is good. God is loving. God is faithful. No matter what's going on outside of me or in myself, God made me. I belong to him. And through Jesus, I am one of his sheep. When we understand the why, we can then obey the call. When we slow down and remember how good God is, and what he has done for us. Out of that truth comes thankfulness and worship and praise. A couple points of application as we close this morning. Number one, sometimes we are not thankful because we don't see or remember how good God is and how much he has done for us. 
there's a real spiritual discipline of taking time, of slowing down, and remembering how good God has been to you. But it is a discipline. Your heart doesn't want to do it. Your schedule doesn't want to do it. But take advantage of this time of the year. Take advantage of the American holiday system. (laughs) And carve out some time to be thankful. Parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, you need to show the kids in your life that you're thankful. Because if you don't model it for them, why would they see a need for it? They're watching you. Or if you don't have anything good to say, if you're going to be around younger people this holiday season, think ahead of time what you're going to be thankful for. (laughs) Because you need to show them how to live a thankful life. Because if you claim on one hand that you are one of God's sheep, but you can't think of anything to thank him for, what are they going to think of your relationship with Jesus? Number two, our thankfulness and our worship are grounded on the truth of who God is and what he has done. We are thankful because God made us and sustains our lives. We are thankful because God made us his sheep through the death of his son for us. We are thankful because God is always good. We are thankful because God's love never ends. We are thankful because God is always faithful and trustworthy. Just in this short little psalm, we see so many reasons, so so many truths that bring us to worship and thankfulness. And then finally, number three, thanksgiving expresses itself in joyful song and praise. Again, you see the calls to worship in this psalm. One of the gifts that God has given us is the ability to express our worship and thanksgiving in song. If you were at our missions meeting on Wednesday, you heard that many times in that country, They don't sing out loud because that would draw unwanted attention. And he gave us the example that sometimes their singing worship is reciting the psalms. Because he said, it's a song, isn't it? (laughs) It made me reflect on the great gift and the great freedom we have to express our thanksgiving and our worship through singing not just by ourselves but together as a congregation. So even if you're not confident in your singing expertise, Psalm 100 calls you to make a joyful noise to the Lord. So don't miss the opportunity this Thanksgiving week. Remember what God has done for you Be thankful that you belong to God and that he is good 
and loving and faithful. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time of thanksgiving. That we would practice the spiritual discipline of being thankful this week. That we would slow down our hearts and our schedules to express our gratitude and our thankfulness to you. Because you are good to us. You are loving to us. You are faithful. We thank you most of all that through the sacrificial death of Jesus, you took rebels and made them your sheep. That through the death of Jesus, through repentance and faith, we can be forgiven, reconciled to you, and have the hope of eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.